Hello listeners, I dug up another episode from the archives, this time a recording with Jeff Sutherland. The recording took place in January 2011, days before the Agile Manifesto had its 10-year anniversary. Jeff and I sat down and recorded this episode after we co-delivered a training course that day in New York City. What is fascinating about Jeff in this episode is that many topics he touched on are still very much relevant today. If you enjoy Agile FM, please take a moment and give the podcast a quick rating on iTunes. It doesn't even take a minute and makes a difference for me, the podcast, and future listeners who are out there trying to find interesting Agile content. If you like to go the extra mile and provide a short comment, that would be even more appreciated. If you would like to join the Agile FM newsletter, please subscribe to the newsletter at agile.fm. Thanks a ton, and now let's go to the show. For the Agile community, www.agile.fm. I'm here with Jeff Sutherland. Welcome, Jeff. Glad to be here. Well, we're just at the end of the first day of a Scrum training course you're delivering in New York, and we're on our way to Agile New York City just before uh, you're going to talk about Agile in the enterprise. Yeah, it was a pretty exciting day because uh, there were so many questions in this class, I, I didn't get a spare second to even drink a glass of water. So people are pretty interested and pretty focused. New Yorkers keep you busy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so but that was the first day. And tonight you're going to speak actually at uh, Agile New York yeah. City. Uh, we just talked briefly before this uh, before this podcast that uh, you just delivered this uh, this talk in Japan. Yes, I was on the panel. I was Well, I was on the stage with... Uh, Ikijiro Nanaka, who wrote the original paper that inspires from, and uh, he gave a talk, I gave a talk, and then we're a panel. Mm -hmm. And uh, the Japanese seem to like what I said, so that's what I'm going to be talking about tonight. We'll see if the New Yorkers like it. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll see probably the feedback that uh, on Agile New York City, and yeah. uh, I'm, I'm sure everybody's yeah. going to be excited, as everybody was in the uh, course today. Jeff, what I wanted to talk about, it's, um, what is it, 20th of January, actually, and uh, it's almost February 2011, yes. 10 years ago. That's right. Something and, major happened. And there's actually a, a, a kind of a reunion. All mm -hmm. the same people aren't going to be there. But on the same date, we're going to be at Snowboard again with a lot of the key people that wrote the original manifesto, plus a group of 10 or 15 other people who are special uh, invitees, who mm -hmm. experts. We'll see what happens. Okay. <laughs> Do you think there will be Agile manifesto 2.0? Most of the people that uh, I've talked to that worked on the manifesto in 2001 feel that it, it should not be changed, that it has the basic stuff in the manifesto, and there's a lot of work that needs to be done to implement it. Mm -hmm. You know, the thing we talked about all day today was the second principle of the Agile Manifesto. How do you get working software at the end of a sprint? Until mm -hmm. you can do that, uh, you can't get the full benefits. And uh, over half the Scrum teams in the world aren't there yet so yeah. we got a lot of work to do yeah don't want to get uh very nostalgic here but 2001 um what was your feeling in uh, 10 years ago when you guys gathered there was it more like let's meet and talk and all of a sudden you guys uh, you know resulted into an agile manifesto how, how does this well, it, it was let's meet and talk uh there's a lot going on uh at the time uh rational was really marketing rup RUP was becoming more and more heavyweight as it was being marketed. Um, Grady Booch was actually invited to the meeting. He couldn't come for some reason. 
but even he thought it was getting too too heavyweight. Mm-hmm. And people wanted to talk about getting processes that it really worked, were smaller, were team-based, uh, things they knew worked well. And so uh, uh, Uncle Bob mm-hmm. created, uh, you know, invited a bunch of people, 17 of us showed up, mm-hmm. to just talk about what we were doing. The first day we did and had a lot of discussion and a lot of debate about, you know, what what we should do, what we shouldn't do. Mm-hmm. And came away with a feeling that we we didn't have really good agreement about anything. There were a lot of big egos in the room with strong opinions. Yes. Uh, so the next day about mid-morning, uh, Martin Fowler actually went up to the whiteboard. That's the picture on the Agile Manifesto site, what you're oh, seeing. Okay. It's him at the whiteboard <laughs> at that hour, about 10 o'clock, okay. <laughs> saying, guys, we've, we must agree on something. If there's anything we can agree on, we should write it down. That's a good thing about a time box, right? Yeah. You felt the pressure of the <laughs> yeah. time box. we got to get something done. Yeah. And, uh, and we wrote down those four bullets in about an hour. Uh, spent a little time actually adding the uh, 12 or 15 things mm-hmm. you know, that were important. But the four bullets were, were the basics. That only took an hour. And then we went back to arguing and debating for the rest of the time. And uh, people said, uh, you know, it felt like, you know, we put a note in a bottle and we threw it in the ocean and everybody <laughs> read it. <laughs> are you surprised? Honestly, yeah. are you surprised uh, now, like looking back in, in time, what kind of impact that that meeting had on the industry? I, you know, I I always felt that Scrum would, was going to continue to grow. It worked. It was, it was going to explode. Um I know that though some of the people at that meeting say it completely changed their life and their practice, mm-hmm. that they felt that we're in this really small space, not a lot of interest, and all of a sudden it blew up. Mm-hmm. It certainly has changed the life of everybody that signed that manifesto, for sure, and yeah. as well as the life of many people all over the planet. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, it's just one of those things, you get lucky sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Talking about evolution of things, and you guys are going back and you meet again, and uh, let's see what just happens. You know, the yeah. intentions of meeting. Who knows? Perhaps somebody right. else goes. To There's the no intention uh, okay. at this meeting. It's convening mm-hmm. to say, you know, what do we think okay. today? <laughs> <laughs> we'll see what happens. Mm-hmm. So, talking about evolution of things, like um, Scrum. I mean, Scrum has yeah. uh, it's a wonderful framework. I'm teaching it. You're teaching it. Lots of. Uh, uh, courses worldwide, tra- some of the Scrum Training Institute, for example, promoting these courses. Um, where's the journey going for for Scrum? Is it just you know, going to stay as it is? I wrote a paper in 2005 that was published at the Big Agile Conference. It was called The Future of Scrum. Mm-hmm. Um, and it described what we were doing at Patient Care at the time, which was basically every sprint was a release and every sprint was targeted towards a specific customer or partner. And these sprints were run in parallel, mm-hmm. and we were multiplexing sprints through teams. Um, we had an automated system that could actually manage uh, this very high level of complexity. And at the time, that, that, that set of teams, or about six teams, was one of the highest performing scrums in the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, people ha- were really had wildly different opinions about that paper. A lot of people said, that's not Scrum at all. You know, Ken Schwaber said, I don't know what it is, but it's a competitive monster. It eats <laughs> anything in its way. <laughs> uh, but basically was, what it was doing was optimizing Scrum mm-hmm. uh, to maximize the benefit 
to the customer. And it was driven by the CEO who said, you know, the only thing that matters to me is customers live and paying. Mm -hmm. and, and, uh, and I would like to see that at the end of every sprint. Why can't I have that? And the mm -hmm. developer said, well, it's impossible by doing anything we've ever done. <laughs> so he said the same thing. They say at Toyota, well, try something different. Mm -hmm. And to my amazement, the team did. Uh, it, it took them about two years to remove enough impediments so that they could deploy in a big hospital system on the last day of a sprint. It's a huge effort. And it requires actually to get the hospital project team on the sprint team mm -hmm. and doing acceptance testing while we're while we're doing development every step of the way. Uh, since then, there are many companies that have gone to a release at the end of every sprint, but I haven't seen anybody uh, try to deal with the complexity of PatientKeeper. PatientKeeper itself, after our product owner left, after I left, after our VP of engineering left, uh, somewhat due to its growth, it was growing tremendously, doubling in size, so the expansion uh, and the, the architecture of the Scrum implementation had to change with that growth. Mm -hmm. And at the time, they brought in a new VP of engineering that did not have Scrum experience. And so the implementation blew up, and they fell back into waterfall six-month releases. Mm -hmm. So the Scrum, so to speak, is not the same Scrum. So the, yeah, yeah. So, so the message is, if you get a really high-performing <laughs> Scrum, <laughs> yeah. you, know, you need to have people that really know how to do this Mm -hmm. You know, tuning it, removing impediments, being able to adjust it as, as the context changes. And uh, if you lose that critical mass of, of experience on the team, mm -hmm. you know, bad things happen. I mean, right. what else is new? That's, yeah. Uh, yeah. So what I've, what I've noticed actually in the Scrum framework, when you pointed it out today, um, uh, you put it basically in front of me again, uh, what's the topic, for example, the, the retrospective, as yeah. like this thing is really getting more emphasis in the Scrum framework. Um, it was always there, but it's, it's getting more attention yeah. uh, these days of process improvement as a real piece yeah. of adaptation and inspection. Uh, is it going to be like formal, like you got to do retrospectives? Is a retrospective is going to be elevated? Are there any other pieces in Scrum which will be well, the, the, perhaps revised the, or recommended? For example, I'm just throwing this out, like we were talking more and more about two-week sprints rather than four-week sprints, whereas like 10 years ago, four-week sprints were quite common. Well, the, the latest uh, version one uh, analysis of Agile worldwide, I think mm -hmm. they had over 4,000 participants in the survey, shows that I think about, it's almost 70% of the Scrum, 60 to 70% of the Scrum sprints are two-week sprints today. Okay. And everything else is way less than that, down mm -hmm. around the order of 10%. So, so the market has spoken that two weeks is the sweet spot. Mm -hmm. Um, as far as Scrum itself, um, Ken Schwaber and I have, you know, focused on keeping the Scrum guide uh, clear about the Scrum framework, and the retrospective is in there. One of the things that more and more people are saying is absolutely necessary to do is product grooming sessions, mm -hmm. and typically every week. Uh, getting together with a product owner and staging that backlog. If you don't do it, you don't get a good kickoff mm -hmm. to the next sprint. I just mentioned in the Scrum Guide, right? But it's like as a, even with a recommendation of 10% of your time yes. being dedicated yeah. to grooming, but yeah. it's not a part it's of the It's not ceremony. a formal meeting defined mm -hmm. in the Scrum Guide. And okay. I, I've talked to Ken about that, that maybe we've got to have a formal meeting. He feels that the 10% is in there 
the recommendation to do grooming is in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe that's enough for right now. But I can tell you, it's just like the retrospective wasn't separate. Yeah. But everybody kept on bringing it up. It's, mm-hmm. it's so important. It needs attention. We need to give it focus. Mm-hmm. Um, it's evolving, I think. Uh, it's yeah. uh, put to test. It's put into practice. And, and as you said, the, the market speaks and responds. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, we're learning from that. But it's, we're not blowing up the Scrum Guide. It's right. a very relatively short The thing document. that is really... Uh, I mean, I think the Scrum Guide has grown a little bit, but nowhere near as much as best practices around Scrum. Mm-hmm. I mean, we know that the Scrum Board really works, mm-hmm. uh, but most people's user stories really work. Mm-hmm. And points instead of hours absolutely works, mm-hmm. yet there's still a huge debate in the community. People have a trouble getting hours out of their mind. Mm-hmm. Um, but points, velocity, uh, the adventure group I'm working with, one of the major reasons they adopted Scrum for everything was... Mm-hmm. They can finally measure production. Mm-hmm. That means they can finally get the dates that are predictable, mm-hmm. and it just and that finally they can get more predictable mm-hmm. return on their investment. So, yeah. yeah, you mentioned earlier the the rational unified process as a, as an example, and uh, that process had its uh, peak yeah. uh, at one time. I published about the RUP as well, yeah. and uh, um, as a as a process back uh, in the early two thousands. Scrum doesn't have that. Scrum doesn't seem to. It peaks all the time. It peaks now. Where, where, yeah. does, it, where does it end? It seems, yeah, I keep asking. I keep thinking. You know, maybe it's going to peak. But then it just. I was just telling my wife yesterday. Yeah. You know, <laughs> <laughs> my schedule was bad last year, but it's getting worse. This year. <laughs> we don't see. We don't just, see an end. I think it's real. I think it's. Yeah. Uh, it's going to stick. I think basically that, you know, the uh, just implementing a few simple things with Scrum will give you more traction and and it's so imp- and the market is get is more and more competitive and you know it's not it, it used to be there was just outsourcing but now there are really good mm. startups in Europe in Asia I mean there's a, there was a there's a guy that was in Boston training and he said I'm here I'm working for a big company right now but my goal is to go back to India and start up a company Mm-hmm. That's going to compete with your startups in Boston. That's what he's doing. People are all over the world are doing that. So unless you're getting better every day in your software business, somebody's going to take that away from you. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and everybody feels that. The telecoms are really interesting because, you know, we've had a couple of major telecoms completely go out of existence. Uh, every telecom knows that the price of a phone call is going to go to zero. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, we know that virtually every telecom has big Scrum implementations. Mm-hmm. Skype has one billion customers. They're wow. looking for two billion. They don't see why there would be any other phone company other than Skype on the plan. Wow. So confidence. You know, if, <laughs> if, if getting better is not enough motivation in and of itself, yeah. <laughs> fear, uncertainty, and doubt about whether you're going to yeah. be alive tomorrow might get you off to dime. It's a measurable goal, right? <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Talking about um, Scrum, I'm just curious, if you had to take a wild guess, how many Scrum Masters went through your, your training over the last years? I mean, how do, well, I mean you, you're so busy, you're traveling around the world. Yeah, I, uh, you know, I know there are over 100,000 people that have just been certified by the Scrum Alliance, and mm-hmm. there are other people doing trainings as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
even though some of them may not be active in Scrum now, be, because there are so many that, that are uncounted, I think that that's a reasonable number. There's 100,000 100, teams out there that are, that are serious about doing Scrum mm -hmm. that we probably know about, and there's probably more that, mm -hmm. that aren't. And, and, and that number is continually increasing every year. Uh, the last time I checked, there was somewhere between 80 and 90 countries with Scrum implementations. Mm -hmm. And so you can go anywhere in the world. And that, there's been two really amazing things to me about Scrum I never would have expected. Number one, it works in every culture. Mm. You know, cultures have different kind of it's uh, interesting characteristics. Yes. So it generates different problems. But mm -hmm. for some reason, this team process is, is, is humanity in action. So it works if you're a human being. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing is scalability. You know, everybody said in the early days, Agile doesn't scale. But we got these huge, you know, you got you had three thousand people at AOL, mm -hmm. and there are some companies that have close to that number working on a single product, mm -hmm. and uh, they they don't see any limit to the scalability of Scrum. Mm -hmm. it, it works at any scale. Okay. So. Well, um, I, I do want to ask you a question here at the end. We're coming to the to the end of this podcast, and I uh, we do need to go to Agile New York City. Um, is you're in conferences, you speak at conferences, you publish papers, you speak a lot, you teach a lot. Are you thinking about writing a book, putting all your experiences into a book? We don't see you publishing books around Scrum. There are two books that are ongoing now. One is I'm helping uh, reframe a book in English called The Power of Scrum. It's already published in, uh, in the Netherlands and in France, I think in Germany. And it's a novel about Scrum. Mm. Um, about a, a CTO of a consulting company that has a big project and the customer is about to shoot him. And, and out of desperation, he's implementing Scrum. And it has all the characteristics of a novel, emotion, you know, tension. You know, as we're doing it, it's just getting better and better. We, and uh, my son, who is a producer at National Public Radio, is a writer and he's helping with it. And he's putting in all the good uh, writing novelist kind of experience that. So that's a really fascinating book that's going to be done this month. The other thing is a Scrum handbook, a basic Scrum, basic scrum handbook. Mm -hmm. That's actually been done for about a year. I've been passing it out to people in courses. Mm -hmm. um, we're, we're going to publish that as a book. Uh, we want to go through uh, uh, a revision to really tune that up. It'll be almost a second edition and then get it in the publisher. Okay, wonderful. I didn't know about that. Thank you for sharing right. this. It's, yeah. uh, it's very valuable. And uh, for everybody out there listening to this right now, yeah. uh, that there is there are some yeah. books coming down at the, the, the pipe. Thank you, Jeff. Um, thanks for your time. Yeah, I Glad enjoyed to be it very here. much. Good talking and, to you. Uh, yeah, thank you. And uh, let's go to Agile New York City. Yeah. Thank you so much. Okay. Thank you for listening to Agile FM, the radio for the Agile community. I'm your host, Joe Krebs. If you're interested in more programming and additional podcasts, please go to www.agile.fm. Talk to you soon.